Okay, hi everyone. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, you'd like to find uh, Matthew's Gospel and chapter 25. We're going to be considering again uh, something that we looked at a few weeks back and we've been processing for a little while now. The idea that God is giving us a spiritual wake-up call. You might remember uh, the occasion uh, where in the middle of my message or just towards the beginning of it, showed you a clip of me in the garden being woken up by a cup of water being thrown over my face. Uh, this time I've brought my alarm clock and every now and again that will go off. It might just go off in just a moment. And uh, it could probably wake up the whole street if I actually use the alarm setting on this uh, clock. It's pretty piercing. There we go. So every now and again, excuse me, I'll press snooze. Good afternoon. The time is 3.23 p.m. And it talks to you as well. Sounds a little bit like Helen. Anyway, uh, that's our alarm clock. And I remember growing up at home and uh, one of my siblings, a different bedroom across the landing, um, had an alarm clock and they used to press snooze in the morning. And it's amazing how easy it is uh, to become conditioned uh, to a snooze. And so the alarm would go off, uh, the snooze button would be pressed, uh, but the sibling in question just stayed asleep. They never stirred. And it was me across the landing who was woken up, who would go over and, and press the alarm off when it went off again and again and again. Uh, so the snooze function, I don't know how many people use that. It's kind of dangerous. It's easy to get used to it. And it would be easy for us just to think spiritually, oh yeah, we, we considered that wake up call and we've moved on. I'm sure the Lord has woken us up. I'm sure we're okay. Um, and uh, not looking at this passage to worry us, but just to get us to consider the importance of what's going on right now and the importance of what God's word uh, says here, what Jesus teaches in Matthew 25. So let's read that and, uh, and then we'll dig in. So it says this, Matthew 25 from verse one. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones, foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So here we have. One of the parables that Jesus taught, it's the, the parables of the 10 virgins, which basically means 10 young women. And uh, often you find in the Bible that when looking at wisdom and discussing wisdom, 
the Bible presents wisdom as a woman. And often you find with Jesus, when he's teaching, he'll use a whole variety of parables. We, we kind of see that here, actually. This section that we looked at is, is part of a, a larger passage from the beginning of chapter 24 to the end of chapter 25, where Jesus is teaching about the end of the age, the end of history, if you like, the end of the world and when he's going to return. And so he uses a number of, um, of parables and he's reaching men and women. So he uses men and women in the, uh, the parables that he teaches. So here's one. And the focus is on women. And we're being invited in this passage, all of us, to identify with those women and put ourselves in their, uh, their shoes. And this is highlighting this uh, this teaching of his right here in this parable is highlighting the importance of being spiritually alert. Uh, makes sense, really, in considering a spiritual uh, wake-up call. And that's the punchline, if you like. That's the, the, the moral of the story, the lesson. In verse 13 at the end, therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. It's the importance of being spiritually awake, spiritually alert and aware of the times in which we are uh, living. So we're going to go through the story and draw out a few lessons as we go that all build up to that crescendo. Firstly, what do we see here in the first five verses? We see uh, the long wait, the long wait. Now, you need to understand, we need to tune in a little bit to wedding culture in the ancient Middle East. So a little bit different from what we might uh, have today when people get married. But uh, the wedding culture of the day would have involved something quite different, really, from what we would expect right now. Um, the wedding itself would involve the, the groom and maybe a few of his friends traveling from his own family home, maybe to the other side of the town or to a village not far away, uh, to uh, the household where his betrothed, his new wife, she lives, that's where she's from. So he's making a journey then that day with some friends all the way uh, to her house and then they're gonna come back together, a married couple, there'll be this massive party. So then at the groom's house, lots of family and friends are gathered and what are they doing? They're waiting, they're in the house and they might spill out onto the street and they don't know how long they're gonna have to wait um, because when they're together, the bride and groom they take a deliberately long time in getting back to his place. Why is that? They are they're going on the longest possible route, really. Every back street, every alley, every household, uh, in between, all their friends, everyone who might know them, to kind of be part of the celebration. So there's this long, uh, long meandering journey that they're going on. Maybe... Uh, one thing that might help us to identify with this is what happens when, let's say, a football team uh, wins a tournament. They have the trophy, uh, and Liverpool have managed that within recent times for the first time in a while, and lockdown makes it a bit peculiar in terms of celebrating. But if there were no lockdown, if that had eased completely, then you can guarantee the team would use a, like an open bus, open top bus with the trophy. They'd be cheering and shouting, and they'd drive deliberately slowly uh, through you know, near Anfield, near their supporters, near their stadium, so that everyone could see and everyone uh, could celebrate. It's a little bit like that uh, in a wedding uh, back in these times. Everyone's celebrating. So for those who are waiting uh, back at the groom's family home, 
they, they don't know how long it's going to take. They know they're going to be having to wait for uh, a while. Now, as we read this, what we're supposed to understand from the story is that the groom represents Jesus. And Jesus will return. This is what he's talking about. This is what he's teaching his disciples about. Jesus will come again. Uh, obviously, he came, he died on the cross, he rose to new life, and he ascended to heaven, but with the promise that he would return. Not quietly tucked away in some small kind of home or with a, with a manger to, to lie in, uh, as was when he first came, but it's going to come on the clouds of heaven with a trumpet blast, with angels, and every eye will see him. There it is again, just going to press through. Excuse for me for a moment. Good afternoon. The time there is, is 3.31pm. Okay, so as I was saying, uh, Jesus is going to come again. Now, I don't know about you, but I was reflecting on this and just thinking, do you know what? I'm not sure I think or talk very much about Jesus coming again. I think about life on planet Earth right now, and I think and look forward to heaven one day. I don't really think so much about this massive event that's going to happen in the middle. Uh, maybe that's the same for you. You might have been a Christian for a long time, but somehow that part of your faith is maybe pushed to the fringes. You might be aware sometimes, um, uh, even right, especially right now, people can sometimes be drawn towards conspiracy theories and people can believe some really strange things. And we don't want to sound strange. We don't want to sound like we're believing in some strange conspiracy theory. So we go silent on this massively important part of the Christian faith that Jesus is coming back again. And uh, that will conclude history, bring about the day of judgment and, and bring about, uh, take us into uh, eternal, uh, eternal bliss with him. So he's coming back. That's the point here. And I wonder then, how, how should we handle that long wait? You could say it's been a long time already. He came over 2,000 years ago and he's not returned yet. We don't know exactly when he will. Obviously, we don't know at all. Any prediction um, is nonsense, really. There's no point trying to predict when Jesus will return. So how do we handle the wait? It's possible not to handle it very well. Uh, you just look a bit earlier in Matthew 24 and uh, verse uh, 48 says there, but suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he's not aware of. It's possible just to think, ah, oh, Jesus isn't coming back. It's a really, really long time we're having to wait. So I guess it doesn't really matter how we live. And maybe we abuse or we hurt other people with a kind of laissez-faire, kind of lazy, uh, selfish attitude. It can happen like that. Um, a little bit earlier, you can see some of the challenges of having to wait a long time for the return of Jesus. Again, in chapter 24, but a bit earlier in verse 12, Jesus says this, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And sometimes as believers, we, we face that challenge where we see, 
And now it's possible to be aware of so many different things around the world. We see and we hear about an increase in wickedness, of evil, of pain, of hardship, just ugly living. And it kind of gets to us and it can demoralize us. But what this is saying is in that context, actually, our love can start to kind of dissipate. We, we forget. We can forget Jesus is coming again. There's reason for joy. There's, uh, my, uh, we can allow our, our love uh, not to be kind of eroded away, but to stand tall and stand firm and, and not be put off and not be demoralized. Not allow our joy to be robbed from us because of what we are looking forward to. So let's be people who are thinking about the return of Christ. Let's not edit it out of our faith. In 2 Peter and chapter 3, it talks about the fact that it's a long wait. Uh, and talks about the, the purpose behind that long wait. But anyway, you can see some reaction to it in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3 and verse 3. Peter says this, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by fire uh, and so on. And you can continue to read through that passage, but it just shows that kind of... Um, unconcerned attitude. Where is this return of Jesus? It's nonsense, isn't it? And we can feel discouraged, potentially. Well, what is the purpose of that delay? Well, remember, that wedding party, they're, they're taking a long route. Why? Because they want everybody to know. We're getting married. It's happening. It's just wonderful. The news spreads around the whole town. That's God's purpose in the delay of Jesus returning that everyone might know that everyone might have the opportunity to join in as it were with this amazing party just read a bit further down in 2 Peter chapter 3 um, and uh, verse 8 but do not forget this one thing dear friends with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's God's heart. That's God's desire. The reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is to give more opportunity for people to hear and respond to the good news. And maybe that's you. You don't need to wait for another occasion. You don't need to wait for another message. You don't need to wait for another moment. You can receive the good news that's only available in Jesus right now if you open your heart to faith, believing that he's God's son, that he gave his life for you, that you might live not just on this planet, which is kind of breaking at the seams, but you might know him forever in eternal glory, being forgiven of all sin, having every debt, as it were, wiped out. This right now could be a spiritual wake-up call for you. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the moment. He's speaking to you right now and saying, receive this good news that I have. Come and join an eternal party, a massive banquet. That's your destiny by believing in Jesus, by turning away from sin and trusting him forever. Let's be a people who are therefore 
all of us patient. Yeah, commitment to Jesus means that we're in it for the long haul. Got to be patient. We're aware that things are, are, are going awry. We don't know whether Jesus is going to return tomorrow or in another thousand years. But we know what's certain. He's coming back. So let's be, uh, let's be patient. What else do we see uh, from this uh, parable? In the next few verses, we hear uh, the midnight cry, the cry that comes at uh, midnight. Let's just read uh, verse six. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. So everyone's fallen asleep, but someone has just gone ahead of the groom and his new bride and uh, is kind of waking everybody up. Get ready, he's literally around the corner. Excuse me, just one more moment. Snooze is irritating, isn't it, really? But are you tuning in to God's wake-up call? Here comes the, uh, the midnight cry. Quick, get ready. Uh, he's literally around the corner and the party's about to start. And it's at this moment, although all of those 10 women have a lamp, all of them are waiting, all of them, in fact, fell asleep, only five of them were prepared for the long wait. And five were not, they were not prepared, they were not thoughtful, they were not wise. And so there's a different response to uh, this announcement of the arrival of the groom. So they say, when they realise that their lamps are running out of oil and they don't have any extra with them, they ask the obvious question to the other five women. Can we borrow some of yours? Well, they didn't actually say that. Um, they were saying, can we have some? Can we have some of yours? Now think about this from a scripture point of view, from a, from a kingdom perspective. What's God's kingdom like? What's, what's this king like? He's incredibly generous. He's ready to share. And so it's a hallmark of God's people that we should be ready to, to share what we have. Now think of you know, Matthew 10, verse 8. Jesus speaks to his disciples there and says, freely you've received, freely give. You could look in uh, Luke chapter 6 and verse uh, 38. And it talks there about, about giving. Give and it will be given back to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over into your lap. You'll give and you'll receive some more. In Acts chapter 4, verse 34, we're told that in the early church, there was no needy person among them. Why? Because they would sell possessions and they would give. If someone had a need, it would be met by other people in the community. Uh, Romans 12 verse 13 encourages us to share what we have with one another, kind of expressing hospitality uh, to our Christian uh, brothers and sisters. So what happens next should be a massive surprise to us in some ways. The question is asked. Actually, there was an old Christian song uh, from, from years ago now. I wonder if how, how many of you know this one. It went like this. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. And on it went. Um, it's funny, really, because actually that, that song was just quoting the foolish young women. Go on, give me some more. Give, give me some more. Share what you have with me. I don't have enough. And the answer comes from wise, thoughtful, well-prepared believers, as it were. No. Go and get your own. It really doesn't sound that Christian, does it? But what's the point that's being made here? 
Well, actually, what do we need to take note of right here? It's this, don't just be patient, be ready. Everyone needs their own supply of oil. There's something here that cannot be shared or borrowed. To be part of God's kingdom is personally to be devoted to Jesus. You cannot borrow someone else's devotion to Jesus. In our discipleship, we want to become more and more like him. We're, we're on a journey with him, being close to Jesus and learning from him. That's what a disciple is, a learner. You can't borrow what someone else has learned. You've got to learn it for yourself. You've got to work out your faith for yourself. You've got to grow in Christ-likeness for ourselves. We can't borrow someone else's prayer life. We can't borrow other people's spiritual resources or faith. Yes, we might be encouraged by the faith of others, but ultimately, what, what do we have? What are my resources like? What is my store of oil? Of course, we might cry out to the Lord, Lord, come again, fill me up. My resources are low right now. Well, if that is the case, then come to him. Don't wait for another occasion. Make some decisions about priorities in life. It's easy to put off stuff that's really important. It's easy just to hit the snooze button. Don't become just so conditioned to it that you don't heed the most important things. You've got to be ready. You've got to consider, how am I with God right now? Is there sin that I'm allowing just to linger? Am I happy just to be apathetic, a bit lazy? It's all right, it doesn't really matter. Things will be all right. I'm sure everything will pan out fine. Well, we, we, we've got a chance to do the most important thing, which is to invest in and cultivate our own relationship with God. God in his sovereignty has determined that, has decided in 2020, life's going to get really, really awkward. What are our priorities? Are we seeking him? Are we considering, do I need a spiritual wake-up call or is that just for other people? What do we see thirdly uh, in this parable that Jesus taught? After the midnight cry comes the groom's arrival. See that in verse 10, while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. Now often you see with parables that Jesus taught that the ending is left unresolved. It's left hanging a little bit. We don't know exactly the conclusion of this scenario. What do I mean? Well, was the door opened? Were they eventually let in, the, the five women who were kind of late to the party because they hadn't got their extra oil or not? It is kind of slightly left in the balance. It's quite intriguing. Nevertheless, there's some sobering things to consider here. In verse 10, the conclusion of that verse, it just says, and the door was shut. And when they call out, sir, sir, open the door for us. What's the reply? I tell you the truth. I don't know you. It doesn't sound very uh, subtle or nuanced, as though he might suddenly say, oh, oh no, hang on a minute. No, oh yeah, I can recognize you right now. Oh yeah. Now that your lights are turned back on, I can see your faces. Yeah, come on in. Now, it's quite a strong statement. Jesus would often say this, you know, you've heard it said, but I tell you, I tell you the truth. 
truly, truly. This is not some weak, mild statement. He's saying, I don't know you. And it's possible for there to be some people who've just maybe just effectively gone along for the ride, been part of a Christian community, but never really made their own definite response of faith towards Jesus, never really been thinking of it as a, as a devotion, as a commitment to become more like Jesus, just happy to be part of the show, go along to a meeting, make some nice friends, be a nice person. Niceness isn't what gets us into the kingdom of God. So we've got to consider this. Yet the gospel reaches out to everyone. But at some point, the door of opportunity, the door to the kingdom will close. You see, there's an urgency. There's an urgency to respond to the gospel if you never have. Here we go again. Good afternoon. The time is 3.47 p.m. Are you hearing the wake-up call? Are you responding? Don't miss the opportunity. For those of us who are saved, are we living with a sense of urgency? We might feel very patient and very ready personally. Is there like an urgency? The door to the kingdom will close at some point. So there are people that I want to share my faith with. I want to tell the gospel to. I might not come across as nice anymore if I do that. If I really share, if I really speak out. But we want people to have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Eternity, matters of eternity are right before us right now. Let's be alert. Let's be fully alert. Let's be awake to the good news that's only in Jesus. Amen.